This Choircast show is brought to you in part by the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. It's a podcast that lives at the intersection of mimetic theory and open and relational theology, given that your host has degrees in such thinking as well as many of his guests. So if you're interested in helping humanity evolve and take healthy steps forward into non-scapegoating, non-binary, non-violent love, you should check it out. Find the Jonathan underscore Foster show on all fine podcasting platforms everywhere. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. My name is Nat, which is, by the way, short for Nathaniel. I should probably bring that up sometimes because it makes me sound more sophisticated rather than somebody who just... You want to start going by Nathaniel? No, I do not. No, okay. No, just checking. My own mother never called me Nathaniel that I recall. And even I don't remember... I don't even remember her doing that. The only person in my life who regularly called me Nathaniel was my mother-in-law. Really? And I don't know why. She she just she's just like, well, that's the name your mother gave you. That's what I'm going to call you. I'm <laughs> like, oh, well, fine. Well, do what you got to do. Other than getting in trouble with mom, and I was called Jonathan for some reason. Well, I know why. Uh, the whole Nelson family calls me Jonathan. It's because yeah, that's, because of John. There's some yeah, John. It's so a that was the between differentiation us. between me, Jonathan, and their son. John. There were just so. two damn many Johns in our lives. Yes. That's yes, the problem. Were. You yes. should have gone by your middle name. But, uh, no. Anyway, what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Not a, not a thing. So I should, uh, I guess I should mention that John and I, together, we co-host this little podcast um, <laughs> that we call This Is Not Church. And we say that because if it was church, uh, you'd be gone by now. And uh, we would applaud you for leaving. That would be a good choice, by the way. But don't leave before you put something in the offering plate and you... Uh, cash in on your money back guarantee for all your tithes and offerings. I mean, I think that's the... Isn't that like the thing churches are doing now? Money back guarantee. You, know, <laughs> you have to sow in. I was taught my whole life I had to sow into my miracle. You got to sow into your miracle, man. You got to... And you, and, you, and you couldn't give small amounts because that meant you had small faith. Yes. And so you had to write checks that possibly could bounce. Otherwise, God didn't take you seriously. <laughs> I always wonder why the church just didn't do that. If they needed money, why don't they just give it all away and expect God to give it all back? I don't know. Questions worth yes. pondering, but I have digressed enough as it is. Let's introduce our guest, John. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. We have a guest. We actually <laughs> still managed to like convince people to come on this podcast to be subjected <laughs> to all of this tomfoolery. I'm impressed. I mean, it's they don't ever come back. That's that's well, <laughs> except for Keith. He's the only one, but he's desperate yeah. for exposure, so he'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> but let me introduce you. Here we go. Rachel Whiteman is a librarian, educator, and advocate for the integration of faith and fact checking. Ooh, I like that. That would be that would go a long way, wouldn't it? Faith and fact checking would be fantastic. Yes, it seems like a no brainer. But with, uh, she has a passion for equipping individuals with the necessary tools. To evaluate information, she is dedicated to teaching others about the intricacies of our current online culture and landscape. Her primary focus is empowering others to become discerning consumers of information, recognizing the significance of Christians' understanding and engaging mindfully in online platforms. Rachel believes in promoting love for neighbors as uh, and acting as peacemakers within our culture. Her commitment to this cause is unwavering. Having obtained a master's degree in library and information science, Rachel boasts over 10 years of experience as a librarian, her expertise lies in teaching students how to ethically find and evaluate information. She has worked at both a community college and a private university in the Twin Cities, Minnesota, where she currently resides. Additionally, Rachel spent two years as a librarian and missionary in Kampala, Uganda, 
before relocating to Minnesota in 2012. And the title of her new book is... Show me again, John, because I have completely forgotten. I know it's something about fake news. Faith in fake news. I knew it. It was on the tip of my tongue, but I didn't want to like say it and be like, no, that's not quite it. So faith in <laughs> fake news. Anyway, man, as you can tell, as always, a paragon of preparedness and readiness. That is my, that is me. I, I'm mentioning words again. Hey, welcome to the program. How are you, Rick? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm well. How are you guys? <laughs> We're good. I can see you're having second thoughts, and I I, I understand. Um, but Not we at do all. what we must. We do what we must to promote books, don't we? Even go on silly podcasts. But we're glad you're here. Uh, would you mind just doing us a favor and like tell us a little bit more? I know I just read your bio, but that's always sort of nuts and bolts stuff. But it's nice to get a feel for people's background. If you maybe a little catch us up on your on, on maybe your spiritual journey, whatever makes sense to you. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I love talking about all this stuff. So I'm happy to be here. Just a little summary, a little bit more of a summary. I grew up uh, just outside of uh, Chicago. So I'm really from Illinois. I'm not a native Minnesotan, which sometimes I'm reminded of up here. Um, <laughs> and yep. And uh, I grew up, so a little bit about my spiritual journey. I definitely grew up in pretty conservative Christianity, uh, evangelicalism. I grew up going to Willow Creek Community Church. Oh, wow. Okay. Mega church. So um, sure. definitely well, Bill, Bill got that and all those whole guys. experience. Yeah. Um, but then went to college and you know how a lot of us go through all kinds of things in our 20s and had some major changes in our family, kind of you know, went through a lot of ups and downs. But I went to, did my bachelor's degree in Western New York at a small school called Houghton college, now a university, um, a Wesleyan school, and then moved back to Illinois and did my master's degree at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. And um, yeah, like you said, I've been a librarian for actually almost 15 years now. And I love talking to people about information and how to find it, how to use it. And then mostly I've been doing that in college settings. And then a few years ago, had the opportunity to offer a class at my church on sort of misinformation and how do we navigate that? And that was right before the pandemic. And then the pandemic wow. happened. And so then I got the opportunity to keep offering those workshops because I think a lot of churches were... What I have found in doing these workshops, um, I've been doing them at different churches. I've now done them, you know, over a dozen churches all over the country, all different denominations, which I find really fascinating because I think churches, regardless of their background, are the thoughtful ones are struggling with how to, how do we navigate this as a, as a church and and teach people to find truth online and um, so yeah I offered those workshops for a few years and then had the opportunity to write this book and here we are in 2023 and it seems like some of those 2020 questions are still happening. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, everything is relevant now, right? I mean, they may become even more relevant um, in the in the coming months, but you know, I. I I'll admit, having read through your bio, I, I, I read the word librarian two or three times. And I was like, okay, I'm not quite getting this connection. And then I got it. Like, of course. I mean, you're sort of the gatekeeper of information on some level. And in a perfect place, I think, position to help people learn how to navigate that space and steer them towards learning how to curate that information. Because that is woefully... I, I, I know that's in your book. I guarantee that you broached this, this subject. But people are woefully ill-prepared to actually... I mean, I see this every day. I watch a lot of YouTube, all right? And people are getting their educations. There are entire communities of people who are completely deluded about the shape of the earth, who learned everything they know from 
YouTube videos and they call that research. And I'm like, I long for the days when my students I used to teach, I long for the days when my students would come in with Wikipedia articles that I would get mad about. Because sweet Jesus, compared to some of the stuff out there, Wikipedia is gold. Definitely. Right? <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm like, I used to kick him out of class. I'm like, you cannot cite Wikipedia as a, as a, as a legitimate source. And now I'm like, please, please, dear God. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's so, yeah. Anyway, so you've got me intrigued. I, I like it. Yeah. So what was the biggest challenge, I guess, would be my place to start in, in talking about this? Because it seems like such a big issue. Yeah. How do you such a large issue or break it down into its components, I guess? I don't know how, how that must have been tough. Yeah, so I approached our church leadership, my pastor in 2019 and said, Hey, do you think I could offer a class on sort of misinformation? And she was like, Yes, please, <laughs> because that was 2019. So we're all looking ahead to 2020 at that point as a, an election year, right? That's kind of what was on the forefront of everyone's mind. Of course, 2020 became 2020. Um, and one of the challenges I found at least was that for me personally, I had always been doing this at sort of the college level setting. So I kind of approached it like I do my college students. And when I work with college students, they're in a, obviously a very different space than people who are choosing to come to like a church workshop. And so I had to really do a little bit of like, okay, wait, these are, these people are choosing to be here. College students. I visit their classes and they don't have like, I just show up and they have to listen to me. So there's a little bit different um, buy-in, obviously from, from them, from these people who are coming to my church and, or any of the church workshops. And um, so adjusting that and also realizing just how much people, in my experience, people are really wanting to learn how to talk about information, how to evaluate it, because ultimately it comes down to their relationships and how do they work through these these issues with people who don't believe the same things as they do? How can they have productive conversations? And so I don't know if I would say that was the biggest challenge, but it was certainly a, the biggest realization for me to say, okay, I can give you all the tools you want. But at the end of the day, people are really hungry for like, how, how do I... What do I do? When, and I, I mean, I struggle with this too, right? How do I talk to my parents who are of a different generation and have very different ideas than me and how do we have productive conversations and it's really hard. And so I think for me, as I started putting all of this together, that was the biggest challenge of like the, so what part of it, you know, there's all that I can give lots of technical information, which I think is really important. And, um, you know, we can talk about some of those, like why you see what you see online, which I think is really important. And then at the end of the day, what are we going to do with that? Yeah. Cause that's, uh, the, the proliferation of information, especially, you know, in the last maybe 15 to 20 years has, uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's amazing. It's great. Um, but on the other hand, gosh, I mean, it, it's also the proliferation of, of unchecked quote unquote information. And so there's all kinds of stuff out there masquerading as truth that are either just wrong or deliberate deceptions. Um, I mean, QAnon is a perfect example of this, right? You know, and people begin to buy off on all these conspiracies and, and there's just a, a plethora, if you'll allow me to use that word, John, a plethora of, 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 of misinformation out there. I, I was watching, I, I, there was a short YouTube clip of, of, I think it was, I think it was YouTube having to defend itself in a Senate, con in a Senate hearing about steps they were taking to combat this. And 
the best they could really come up with was like demonetizing YouTube videos, um, putting, you know, you know, little warning blocks of, hey, this contains, you know, you know, misinformation or, you know, whatever. That doesn't seem to stop those folks, though. If you're hell-bent on believing a conspiracy, they just did on it now. So it just becomes a bunch of circular reasoning. Is there any particular danger, you think, for people of faith in this regard? Does it, did you, is that why you sort of, I mean, was it either a question of access or did you focus on churches in particular because maybe they're more vulnerable to that kind of stuff? Yeah. I, well, that's a good question. I think, I do think there are some studies that have, like, I was just looking at a study the other day that was talking about, um, you know, church, people who go to church and, um, Christians and their susceptibility to conspiracy theories. So that is certainly, that's part of it. But I didn't necessarily like go into this all like, Oh, I really want to teach only pe-. like I, I've been doing this in college settings, but it was like, Oh, I, I, I just felt like, in my experience, I was having conversations with people who happened to be Christians who were really struggling with it. And so, and like, how do I know what's true? How do I talk to people about, you know, what they're seeing versus what I'm seeing? How do we have productive conversations? And, and then out of that, what I did discover that I think is helpful is that there weren't people in churches talking about it. So this became like really, uh, like I said, I've worked at, with like over a dozen churches at this point, and they're all different denominations because there weren't people talking about. Maybe there's people talking about like conspiracy theories or whatever. Like, don't believe them. But like, where are the tools to help people do that well? Where is the like walking people through steps to take? But you know those kinds of things. And then also, I felt like offering this kind of fr- like I have a sort of a framework I walk people through. Working with people who who are, are connecting it to their faith, I think, brings in like a little bit deeper um, sense of why they want to. You know, like I that's kind of like what I was alluding to before, right? When I work with college students, we're just like, okay, you need your three peer reviewed articles, so let's just get you. You know, like they're just like on a mission to get what they need and kind of get out. Whereas people who are coming to these workshops who are churchgoers who are gener- generally the ones I've been working with have been very thoughtful people and really you know, wanting to learn this, I think connecting it to their faith helps give them like a little bit deeper sense of like, this is why I want to learn how to do this. This is why I want to have these hard conversations because I care about other people and I want I want to learn how to be more thoughtful. Um, and so for me, working with churches has been a way to, to kind of work, help people think more intentionally because it's tied to their faith, which is a little bit deeper reason to stick with it, right? Like why, why we don't want to make, we're humans, right? We don't want to make changes. Why would you want to fact check anything? It's hard work, <laughs> you know, it's an extra step. But if you can approach it with this sense of like, I want to be a truth teller. I want to be a good neighbor. I want to love people well. Therefore, I will try to find out the truth before I share misinformation. That's a much more compelling reason for people, I think, than just saying like, hey, here's a checklist of things to do. If that, if yeah. that makes sense. No, totally. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm taking a step back. So first of all, I, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel kind of like the, uh, uh, the librarian as a, as a, as a profession is kind of a dying breed in the sense of we don't need to go to a library anymore. Uh, which first of all, I disagree with that. Thank you. Uh, just, just because, just because I can get things online doesn't mean I shouldn't go visit you know, a, a library. When I was a kid, you know, getting to go to the library and ask the librarian to help me find something, right? To teach me the Dewey Decimal System, all of that kind of stuff 
was a joy. It was, it was, it was almost like a rite of passage, right? To get that library card through, you have to go to the county library. Um, and I feel like a lot of that is, uh, has been swept under the rug with this idea that I can find anything I need to find on the internet. But what I, what I like about what you're talking about is if you get stuck in these algorithms, right? So yeah, I'm, so where Nat or you or I do a Google search for the same exact thing, we get three different results because of what we have Google searched before, right? Or what ads we've clicked on and all that. So I find that interesting that just because we feel like we're fact checking by doing a Google search, that's not necessarily the right steps, right? Yeah. I, the, well, first, I'll just say one other thing about like librarians as a profession, and then I'll say something about algorithms. Um, I actually came to the world of librarianship through, ironically, community development. So I finished my bachelor's degree, and I wanted to go into some sort of community development. I was really excited about you know, at 22, when you're excited about everything, um, you know, I was like, I want to be a community developer. I want to be in the community. And I was working in a library at the time as I was going to school. And I took this graduate class in community development. And the, the professor said, the best community developers are librarians because they connect people to people and people to information. And that just like sent me down this different path. And I ended up really studying community informatics, which is communities and technology. And so I've really approached a lot of my work through this lens of like, as a librarian, how can I make communities better through using technology and teaching people to use technology and information in a better way, ethically, wisely. Um, so yes, I think that historically, librarians have been really part of that. And as our culture has shifted, it's really changed the the role I hope librarians will play, which is more as educators, um, because I, like you were saying earlier, Nat, like everything's uncurated. Everything's just available. Not everything, actually. I talk about that in the book. Some things aren't available. Some things we need to pay for. And that's okay. <laughs> and so it's so uncurated. And so I hope librarians can continue to play this role of helping people navigate what they're finding. Um, for me personally, as someone of faith, I want to help people of faith do that better because... It's not a, it's not good to spread misinformation. Like that is not loving our neighbors. Um, and so that's really where, that's where I've seen that intersection of like, how do we as librarians and then as a person of faith, how do I do that? And then to your point, John, about the algorithms, that's what's really changed. It's like you could historically go into a library and get those books, right? That were all lined up and you could still do that. But. We have, we do have access to so much information and the worlds we live in are potentially very different online. And that to me, especially was really concerning as I was thinking about what are, what are we seeing in the world and how are we trying to have conversations with people if we're literally seeing different information? And I know for me, like that really got highlighted during COVID, you know, talking with friends and family and like trying to navigate what steps I might want to take. And then like, I have family members who seem completely unconcerned or concerned on a different topic, right? And it's because we're literally looking at different news sources and they're highlighting different things. We have different searches that were coming up. And I just think how powerful that is in our culture that we're not... I don't know if people are always paying attention to the fact that we are literally potentially seeing different information. What do we do with that? Yeah. It, it's, it's, a weird, it's a weird irony, though, that 
you know, we live in an age where, where information is so readily available. But I feel, and this is my personal judgment, I don't have any data to back this up, but I feel like people are less literate, not in, in the general sense, like obviously they can read, but they're, they're less skeptical or they're skeptical in a very biased way. Does that make sense? Like, like I'm skeptical about things. I don't know. Lately, John knows I've been diving down the flat earth rabbit hole because it's funny, um, but it's also scary as hell. And they get stuck in their own little echo chambers and they become skeptical and distrustful of everything that comes from a government source or everything that comes from, you know, something they deem as disreputable. And that's dangerous to me. I mean, you're, there's a generation of people coming up who are, who have crossed the line from healthy skepticism to like a complete distrust of everything. Is there a way to navigate through that space where we bring, obviously, I'm a, I'm a big fan of healthy skepticism. I mean, don't necessarily believe everything you read or see, but am I making sense or am I just rambling? <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. I actually, someone just said to me a couple weeks ago, I was, I had a speaking engagement and someone was saying that they worked with college students and that they're seeing, and I guess I'm probably, if I, I probably, I guess I'm seeing this too with my college students, but they were saying that like they're noticing that younger adults, especially who've grown up with just all of this information all the time, right? They are moving from just skepticism into cynicism. Yeah, And I thought that was exactly, I was like, yes. As soon as they said that, I was like, yes, that is, that's what we're seeing is like a shift from just like, how can we be skeptical and ask good questions into pure cynicism where they're just like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. Or they decide, you know, we brought up confirmation bias once before. So the things that, the things that um, reinforce my already preconceived notions, I, I trust those things. And then if they contradict me, I don't think we've been, I don't think we've been brought enough or brought up enough to challenge our own assumptions. I mean, like we've been, I think we've been encouraged, especially the last several years to, to seek out a version of truth that is, that is palatable to us. And then, you know, we, we, we leave the, the, dis, uh, the, the uncomfortable conversations aside. And I have conversations with people like this all the time who are utterly convinced that, you know, Bill Gates is putting microchips in their vaccine and that they, they, I saw, I read an article the other day that claimed, um, government agencies can connect to your body through Bluetooth if you've been vaccinated. <laughs> there are like legitimately semi-intelligent human beings who believe that I can connect to you via Bluetooth because of the vaccine you took. Holy crap. What are we, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, 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 it borders on the hopeless <laughs> sometimes, but people like you then come along and pull us back from the brink, hopefully. So, hopefully. Um, <laughs> As we're sorting through some of this stuff, I know this is timely, by the way, because I think, like I said, we know what's going to happen in 2024. I wish I didn't know, but I do know, which means round two of fake news. Round two of don't trust what's in front of your eyes. Um, what are some strategies we can employ to kind of gear up for that? I think last time we kind of got taken by surprise, to be honest with you. I think we underestimated the power of denial. Uh, but... What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, one of the things that I talk about in my book and I talk about in my workshops that I think is underestimated is um, honestly, and this is the part that is hard to get people on board with, is helping people notice their emotions. So much of fake news and actual fake news and misinformation and disinformation is so emotional. Our news cycles are emotional. I mean, it's like it's just so emotional. And I think that... If we, when we're online and we're consuming 
our own information, when we're scrolling the news, when we're doom scrolling social media, if we can notice our emotional, like our own selves, it gives us space to pause before we move forward um, and respond out of that emotion. I was sharing with someone the other day, I came across a study, um, and I think I mentioned it in my book, um, that there was a small study done in 2020 or 2021. And they found that people who exhibited higher levels of emotional intelligence were more able to identify misinformation, which I thought was so fascinating because I think that's something that's really hard for people is to like pay attention to ourselves. <laughs> and it's certainly not something our online spaces um, help us with. Um, you know, they, they really thrive on that attention seeking behavior. And so um, that's something I think we could all benefit from. And like, I mean, couldn't we all benefit from being more emotionally intelligent in general, <laughs> not just with identifying misinformation? Um, you know, we could all benefit from that. And so that's one thing that I think going into this next year, I'm like really thinking a lot about is like, how do we go into another election? I think that's part of, I mean, last, I think of the last election and like, it was in the middle, you know, we we're having the pandemic. I live in the Twin Cities. And so the murder of George Floyd was like, extra emotional, obviously, for obvious reasons, it was like, a, everything was so heightened. And so then we had this election on top of all the other things going on in the world. And so I, I think that to me is a big part of coming into 2024 is like, how can we personally notice those emotions? How can we collectively, I, I feel like sometimes we all feel like we're at the mercy of of the media outlets. And in some ways we are. <laughs> and so how can we take back some control and some intentionality for ourselves without just getting sucked into all of that craziness and hype and, and Twitter and social media. And now there's threads and there's TikTok. And I I'm just know, like, right? there's God. so many pl platforms for this stuff to like, just permeate. And so how can that's, I mean, there's way more, obviously, to think about, but that's probably my first thing I usually go to. Also, you have certain church leaders who tell us that we aren't to trust our emotions, that our emotions will deceive us. And so and I think what you're saying is, you're not saying that our emotions are necessarily going to guide us 100% towards the right answer, but if we are emotionally connected to a story in either like a very hateful way, uh, then we need to step back and it's like, well, why am I, why am I reacting that way? What are they, what are they doing? And we know that news does this, right? Well, they're I manipulating love, you. I, I, I love this thing you called, uh, I wrote it down, doom scrolling. This idea of, and I, and I think we've all done it, right? We get, we get caught. I do it within, uh, TikTok and the cops videos, right? I get stuck in those and I just want to see these people get caught in some stupid thing they've done. But is that loving my neighbor? You know, no, it's not. And is it is it really factual in any way other than to keep me connected and keep scrolling? And so um, on one hand, you have pastors and church leaders that say, don't trust your emotions. They, but on the other hand, you're saying, yes, listen to your emotions, but ask why your why your emotions are doing, why are you reacting this way. And then that's maybe a point where you're like, okay, I need to fact check what I'm looking at and find out, okay, what's the sort, what's the true source of this story? Which then you talk about too, right? You, um, I don't remember what you call it, but you know, going from this TikTok video to a connection to this 
local or uh, this like CNN news, which then became it connects you to maybe a local news article. Which by the time it got to TikTok, it was a completely different story, like the telephone thing, right? Yeah, and 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 yeah, I think we've you, somebody brought this up already, but like that idea of being curious and challenging our assumptions, like why am I feeling this way? Why? I, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those emotions, like. It, it's very clear in my book. I talk about it very openly. Like I've gone through a lot of therapy in my life, and like it's it's so important, right? Like just notice and be curious about why we're having this reaction, so that we can decide. Like it gives us space to then say, okay, well, I am having this very strong reaction. Now, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to just be like, okay, I'm done. I can close this. Or am I going to, like you said, do some fact checking or do a little bit of digging? Or am I going to whatever, whatever the response is. <laughs> but without that pausing and noticing, we just are more likely, I think, to respond and potentially not in a good way. The thing that, that, that occurred to me too is that emotionally intelligent people who are in touch with that, for lack of a better phrase, but you can begin to learn when you're being manipulated. Like, oh, okay, I know what this is. You're tugging on my heartstrings. I know that, you know, I, I, I you know, you can, go to, you can go to a movie and, 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 and you can tell when they're just being over the top, intentionally trying to tug a heartstring. And I get a little resentful sometimes towards that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you're like, this is pandering to, you know, some emotional. But I, I really feel like that goes a lot. I think that goes on a lot, especially in um, more, you know, in the larger news stories. I don't get that in the newspaper typically, but when I watch a, something on Fox or CNN or something like that, I feel like there's an emotional component that they are using to try and elicit an emotion from me rather than just present me facts. So, and I think that happened a lot. I saw it seemed to, it seemed to, to happen quite a bit around the COVID discussion that facts got blurred and then emotions got hyped and, you know, it was less about the actual information. It was more about the fear. And it was, day, you know, I, I, I don't know about you. I, I, I was laid off. I had nothing to do but sit at my house and watch CNN 24-7 and wait for the next press conference and find out how many people died that day and, you know, what, what dumb thing our president was going to say next and piss me off. I spent a lot of that year just mad. I mean, really, really. And, I, and I, when it all sort of shook out, I had to take a very long sabbatical and, like, reclaim my mental health because... I feel like there's a, I think there's a whole lot of Americans out there with, with, with some undiagnosed PTSD from what has just occurred. And I don't mean that flippantly. I mean that for real. Like there's going to be some things that will come along in the next year that might trigger some folks. So that, that, that emotional intelligence component, I think I, that, that's brilliant. I think that's really amazing. I think we all need therapy. We should all just be given therapy in school and just like, <laughs> just become part of our lives. But okay, let's, let's, let's talk about some of the practicals then. If you have a student coming to you, and they're wanting to research a, a specific topic, how do you guide them towards trustworthy sources of information or maybe steer them away from stuff that's more salacious or, or, or less trustworthy? Make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm working with college students, the advantage in that situation is that they're usually kind of stuck. And so they're like, I need this article to finish my paper. So I have a little bit of ability to say like, okay, well, we're going to go here and here's how you're going to find it. Um, and right. I can show them like library sources, right? So that that works to my advantage, I think, because I can help say like, hey, we have a, you have access to all of these things that the library has paid for. Um, and so you can use these databases, you can use these scholarly articles, here's how we can find them. Um, and so there's a 
little bit of that advantage in terms of steering students towards that. I think the challenge really comes from um, working with students when they're not doing that peer-reviewed research, right? And they're more like, I'm seeing things on TikTok or whatever, Um, or just with my classes that I'm doing with churches or some of the examples in my book, that is a lot harder, I think, for people to want to be guided because of many of the things we've already talked about in terms of confirmation bias um, and, you know, people wanting to kind of stay what's comfortable. Um, But there are some resources that I try to point to in terms of just like everyday um, information navigation in terms of like, how do you check some things? How do you know what's what's more accurate? I I mention a lot of times, and maybe you all have seen the website allsides.com. Um, and, and I feel like, I don't think they're like the end all be all of resources, but they're such a value. It's such a valuable tool for people in terms of saying like, Hey, let's take a look at where you're getting your news from. Let's look at some alternative perspectives in terms of finding more more accurate reporting potentially. Um, another thing I like to talk about with students um, or people in my workshops is showing them how to find a news site's um, standards for journalism or ethics. So like the New York Times, you can go to their website, you can see their, their standards for journalism and helping people realize that like, if there are standards, that's better than, you know, whatever news source you're reading that doesn't have any standards and anybody can post something, right? So, so really showing, I love pulling those pages up. Like, look, you don't have to agree with everything the New York Times says, but you can't disagree that they, like, they literally are posting that they have these standards. And I think that that's something we can pay attention to. I think I've gotten off track from whatever your original question was. Um, But that's what, that is, that's another thing that I'm always pointing to is like, find the standards. um, And then also helping people get to the original sources. So, so much of what we see online is reporting, re-reporting, and then re-reporting, like we were saying, the game of telephone. And so really, like, how do we find that original source and the original reporting about it as best we can, which is sometimes hard. And I don't think we need to do that for every single thing we read or watch, because that would take up that's like that's a full-time fact checker's job um but we can we can do that at least for some things and how helping people do that and then honestly the last thing i guess i'll add is i i think wikipedia is a great tool for this kind of thing you know wikipedia you can at least a lot of times there'll be something that will say oh i was just looking at one earlier today they were Oh, now I'm going to forget what the example was. But anyway, it was a Wikipedia article about a particular person and it mentioned that, you know, ties that he had to the oil industry and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it was cited at the bottom. And so it was like, hey, if, you know, like that's a tool that we can use to say, hey, maybe that person, that organization isn't the most trustworthy because look at this other, these other things that we can find out about them and maybe we shouldn't trust them. Well, I've, I've also seen plenty of articles on, on Wikipedia that will, at the very top, say, you know, we need citations for this. You know, they'll warn you ahead of time, hey, this has not been verified. There aren't citations. So sort of read at your own risk. I always appreciate that. I, I, I no longer sort of lament Wikipedia as, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was like, come on. You know what I mean? If you were, if you were in college and you dared to bring a paper in, I, I brought one or two papers in citing Wikipedia articles and got drummed out of my professor's Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no. <laughs> we use scholarly sources here, please. Peer reviewed, whatever. But, but the, the other thing that struck me as funny though is, is the, is, have you noticed there's a, there's, 
there's been this sort of proliferation of satirical news that is so well done that I've seen people posting it online as like, oh my God, can you believe this? And I'm like, that's from the Babylon Bee. It's a joke. Like, oh, I don't know, man. It seems real, you know? So we've even lost the ability to, to I mean, and uh, granted, some of that I think is intentionally put out there to look very real, but um, it seems like one of the symptoms of our inability to curate our information, our own information is we even fall for satire. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think in the last, at least in the last five to 10 years, uh, there's a large section of our population who has lost the ability to understand satire. And I don't know if it's just because they don't want to delve deeper into it or, or what, but, uh, uh, the onion, Babylon B, uh, I think, like Nat said, I've seen people post things from both of those as if they were factual. Well, and there's so many more that actually hide that, you know, this is a satirical whatever. And, uh, and I've, I'll go back on Facebook with somebody and go, Hey, just so you know, and I'll like circle it and go satire. Like this is real. <laughs> like you're supposed to be not a, uh, a purveyor, a purveyor of falsehoods. So maybe, maybe check your sources before you, <laughs> and this was going on a lot in the election. You know, I had a lot of, you know, I, I was, on Facebook a lot more then, but, um, and I would see people just, you know, they're just repeating stuff and they're just sharing stuff and sharing stuff. And I, especially to my Christian friends, I mean, like, check it, like take two seconds before you bear false witness against somebody you just don't like because it agrees with your position. And then last, last of my guess, but I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, and I, I think we need to really state the facts that both sides do this. This, this oh, isn't like a, this isn't a Republican thing. This isn't a Democrat thing. This, this is you. They're both purveyors of false information to get whatever point across that they want to get. You know, I, you know, I am more left leaning. So I would probably be more apt to believe something I saw from the, a left side than I would from the right side. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't also fact check even stuff coming from my own, my own my own bias, right? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's that emotional content, right? As soon as we get, and I sometimes joke that it's like, it's not just the emotional content that makes us angry, annoyed, enraged, whatever. It's also the things where we go, this is amazing. It might also be highly emotional that we should pay attention to that too. Um, and right. so it's just like, it's so emotional and we're, we can lose sight of, of a lot of things because we're caught up in that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier too that one of the dangers was, or one of the effects of this was in our interpersonal relationships, you know, where this, where things really broke down. John and I experienced this in our own family where we're like, there were just certain topics that were just not up for conversation because they were going to turn into a fight because we'd drawn lines and, and we all, so have you seen that effect sort of play out more as well or where this is causing friction in families? And even, look, I, I consider our family pretty tight-knit, but it caused some knockdown drag outs between especially my dad and me and John and our dad. And Have you seen much of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that continues to be a big part of all of this. When I first was doing this very first class for our, my church, you know, like the first week, it was like a six-week, workshop, you know, whatever. And the first week I remember everybody just was like, how do I talk to people? And then as I'm, and then like, so that was in 2020, a couple weeks ago, I was out in California doing a speaking engagement. And at the end, people are coming up to me. 
I'm trying to figure out how to talk to my so and you know so and so in my family, and it's like that hasn't changed in in the last three years. And people are, I feel like that's just we keep coming back to it. It's been it's been a huge thing for me. Like I wrote in the book some ideas; those are things I still have to practice with my own family around things that we disagree on, and you know things that I'm like I don't think you're. I'm like, where are you getting this information from? And even in my own family, that's hard. And I'm I'm do it like just my job to evaluate information and it's still, it's still hard, you know? And so I, I think people in general, it's thoughtful people still want to figure out how to make, make it work in their relationships, but it's really, really hard. And when we're all seeing different things and we're all emotional, it's going to be a lot harder. And I do worry about next year. And as we go into another election cycle, like we're already in the election cycle. So like, yeah. how, oh, yeah. you, you know, it's already started. And so like, how do we, go through that. I don't know. <laughs> Feels like it never ended. Yeah. Well, for me, what's scary is we are we are arguing over things that we shouldn't... I mean, there should be some way to fact check this, period. I mean, we're having arguments about how many people showed up to a Trump rally. Was it 15,000 or was it 50,000? Well, I mean, there's the picture. You could just count them. <laughs> well, and like you even that, right? You, you talk about that in, in the book about how we, even, even images can be manipulated, right? And how do we get to the original source of images? You know, we live in a world where deep fakes are a thing now. We have, I think as we become savvy to them, we can, we can notice some of that, but some of it is done very well. And, um, oh, so it's, just, like, it's only going to get better. Right. And so it's like, it's, it's obvious 50,000 people were there. And someone else is like, it's obvious only 15,000 people were there. I was like, I mean, we can't even agree on a photograph, let alone what was spoken about or talked about or what was logistically correct or incorrect. I mean, it's, it's scary. It's what it is. And we're getting caught up on those fat facts right. yes. that we, instead of getting to the like actual discussion, which is around the policies and the like, these other things that are the deeper things that we need to talk about. We're getting stuck on this, like, was it, how many people was it? Which is really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, we do tend to sort of focus in on the minutia sometimes, but that's another thing I think that misin- misinformation does, though, is, is it takes those small things and blows them up into... You know, I, I see this, I'll make a parallel with, with religion where we take minor points of disagreement and blow them up into huge bones of contention. And you look at some of the things that, that churches have disagreed over and split over and, you know, and you're like, really? Y'all got mad about what day you went to church? I mean, pick a day. It's okay. You know, y'all got, y'all got mad about whether you dunk people in the water, you sprinkle them. I, I, do what you want. You know, it seems silly, but it, I'm sure for the people involved, it still is very, emotional and still very but isn't there too a component of like 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 needing to be right like you know, does that make sense i mean like like i i ran into that a lot with people that want that wanted to argue what they wanted to do they wanted to discuss they wanted to argue and at the end of the day what they wanted was to win an argument there was no sense of wanting to come to any sort of understanding they just wanted to to be able to walk away from that thing going yep i got i got the best of that person um, how do we combat that kind of attitude? Is that something we can sort of educate towards? What do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think there is a lot and I of people who would, who want to win the argument, who want to be right. I think, and maybe the, I don't know if this is a little bit of a cop out, but I think there's a lot of it that we, what I'm encouraging us all to do is to like, 
notice ourselves and notice how to how can we bring up I'm not saying we should let people believe conspiracy theories and I'm not saying we should step down and do nothing. But what I am hoping to like help people think through is like because there are going to be people who only want to win the argument maybe it's not always worth us engaging. It depends on the relationship, obviously. There's a lot of caveats. But there are like, how can we pay attention to like, when is the right time to bring something up and like push back versus when are the times to be like, you know what, this is just honestly not going to be worth my time. Um, And again, that's a hard line. And that's very individual, right? Like I have conversations with my family where... Sometimes I push back and sometimes I let it go. <laughs> and oh, yeah. it's like, because it's like that balance of like, I don't want you to think that I think whatever, or I don't want you to think that. Um, and actually you're wrong, <laughs> but also knowing like this is a relationship that I'm trying to figure out how to navigate. And so I do think there's that balance and, um, I don't know if it's always clear and that's what's, that's what's so hard, right? About relationships is that they're messy and we all, I wish, I wish I always, I wish I could have created a checklist for all of us of like, here's that when to say helpful. this. And same, I know, I know. 10 easy steps to not do this. It I probably would have sold a lot more copies of the book too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think you're right. I, I do think you're right though, that, that it begins with us, right? And I don't think you, you prefaced that by saying you thought it was a little bit of a cop. I don't think so. I think that's the harder part is to recognize because even as, even as I sort of formed the question as I was, and I just finished, I, I thought to myself, yeah, but I do that same thing. I'm there. I, there's times I get in fights and my ego takes over and I just want to, I just, I just can't let this, you know, stand and I want to be right. And, and so I have to, I've had to do that exact thing that you just mentioned, go, you know what? This isn't worth sacrificing this relationship over. There are times when I just need to walk away. And there are times when when you you simply can't. But um, like you said, it's going to be very individual and we're all going to have to draw those lines for ourselves. But if we're not willing to look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm just as culpable sometimes. I certainly have the tendency toward... Ask anybody that knows me. They'll know I I have no no problem with arguments. It's been a big area of growth for the last few years is me going, you know what? I don't need to argue everything. I can let some of those... I can just walk away from... I can scroll on. There's doom scrolling, yes. and then we can scroll towards and our bliss. Scrolling on, scrolling, doom scrolling, and scrolling. Sometimes you just got to see a comment and go, eh, scroll on, you know. And, and it, that, you know, that that has brought me uh, a measure of peace. You know, at least has freed up some time online. Um, I don't engage in stupid conversations with people who don't really want to have an exchange. Um, and I think that at, at some point it comes down to that question for yourself: like, is this person genuinely interested? And I've gotten pretty good. I think at, at, at sensing when people are asking questions out of a sincere place of wanting to understand or they're trying to bait me into a fight. I think that might come into, so that comes back to your emotional intelligence thing. As we get to know ourselves a little better, we can go, hey, you're just, uh, you're just trying to bait me into something. I'm not going to fall for it. So interesting. Yeah, cool stuff. John, I've blathered on enough. Say something good. Well, I was just going to say, I was just going to say that there, no, there are, times, it, I, too think, late. I think, <laughs> too late. I'm, I'm done. Uh, well, there, I, I, I also feel that there are times though where our best option is to dis- disconnect from certain people, right? So I, I don't want to, I don't want to like candy coat this idea that, Hey, if we just, if we just kind of like step back and don't have these conversations that well, this will all be kumbaya and, you know, candies and Sundays. But, uh, sometimes the best option is to, 
to completely disconnect from these people. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, it is family. And you have to step back, give yourself some space. You know, maybe you can reconnect. Maybe you can't. You know, I, I think Nat and I both have, you know, family members that we are more than happy to just say, you know what, we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna look at each other from afar and not have conversations. And that's, I'll see you at Thanksgiving, but yeah. And, <laughs> and that's, again, that's, that's for your own well being. That's for your, uh, for your, for your own health, you know, your own health, your mental health. But at the same time, sometimes you do have to, you have to put in the work. If you, if you have made the decision that the, the, the relationship is more important than whatever you guys agree on or disagree on, then you're going to have to do some work and you're going to have to look at yourself and say, okay, yeah, they push my buttons, but I probably push theirs too. And so then you have to do, like you say, you have to do some work. You have to look at what you're doing. You can, you can have conversations that some of them are going to turn into fights and, and you're going to have to figure out how, how that works out and how that, and then how that comes to some kind of end. But, um, that's kind of, unfortunately, that's kind of where we are. Um, I don't, I don't think this was where we were 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and I think part of it is this, this idea where we have these connections to information overload that gives you information continually to reconfirm your version of the truth, right? And, the first thing we got, I think we have to admit is that we are also giving that. We are also given that. So even though we think we have the right answer, we are also being reinforced with our version of the truth. And if we're not able to say that, you know, my version of the truth has been reinforced by whatever's being dumped at me through Facebook or Google or whatever, then I can't acknowledge the other side because I have to acknowledge. And then that, that's where your, your tools come in, right? That's where we fact check and we start looking at like original sources. I know you bring up, um, different, different websites that actually do fact checking on, you know, Snopes is one. And, you know, and again, we have people who say, well, Snopes is left leaning. I use Snopes on a regular basis. I have yet to find them. not being truthful, if, if that's, you know, they, they, they seem pretty good to me. Uh, but if you don't like Snopes, you, you give other options as well. I'm sorry. I don't remember them as well, but I'm right now, but I'm sure you do. But, uh, there are other ones other than Snopes. But for me, it has been a pretty easy, quick fix to say, okay, this is, this is not even remotely true. Um, so it's, it's those kinds of tools, right? That you're offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point earlier, I think. It doesn't matter. In, in the U.S., like here in the U.S., we have a very... I mean, a lot of what we do, we talk about is through a political lens, right? Left and right. Those are like the two things. But to your point earlier, it doesn't, it doesn't matter um, necessarily which side we identify with. It's politically, my hope is that we would all take the, the, these ideas, these tools, the time, the intentionality, the mindfulness to say, how can I grow as a person? And maybe that means like even fact checking some things I agree with, which is really hard. That's like, that's so counter our human nature. And to your point, knowing, knowing ourselves and knowing how to engage with relationships, knowing when to say, I'm going to take a step back and not talk about this versus when am I, when do I need a break? I mean, I totally identify with that. I have the same thing, you know, where I've had to be like, I'm, this is just not the right time for this relationship, right? So I think there's so much personal 
growth that can happen through all of that if we're willing to like slow down and like pay attention to ourselves and use those tools and and not get caught in this left and right black and white thinking. I think there's so much more in the middle that we can grow from, but it's just so counter the environment that we live in, which I argue is partly from our online spaces or becoming more and more primarily from our online spaces. And so how can we as human beings be a little bit more intentional around how we engage with that information? Well, it, it, does, it doesn't help, right? That, you know, we all know that I'm not, I, you know, I don't want to know, go as far as to say that my phone's always listening to me, but I know it, it follows what I click, right? But how do you, there's a level of mistrust because things pop up on your phone or your computer that you're like, I never, I never searched that. But, but we I talked about it, it. But I said it out loud <laughs> in my house and Alexa's listening or whatever, right? So there's that, that whole level of, how, you know, what, and, to, and there's been, a, there's been obviously some class action lawsuits against different, uh, different companies who own certain devices that, oh, lo and behold, yes, they were actually listening. And so, even though those supposedly have, you know, they, they lost their lawsuit, does it, does it mean that those, those informations are not being taken from our TV or our phone or our computer? So there's already that level of conspiracy theory, uh, that, you know, how do I, you know, people who are like covering the, the, the cameras right on their, on their, on their, on their computers or their phones or whatever, because they're always on. They're always taking pictures. So. One of the things I, I like what you talked about is this idea of misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories, right? And that there's there's different levels of this, and it kind of almost like one builds off the other, builds off the other, and um, so and and the end result is conspiracy theories, where then it's like you're like you're they, off the rails, not they, right, right, right. There's, there's always, always a way, right? They they are doing this, they. they are doing that. It's always the government, John. It's always NASA. NASA lies. I thought it was that. I thought it was that. that uh, what's that grove in Santa Rosa where it picks all the presidents? Um, what? Oh, great. Dang it! Yeah, uh, I'll have to look it up. There's this. There's this place just outside of Santa Rosa. Dang it! What's it called? Something Grove. And they supposedly they're in, they're in control. Chinese Grove? No, they're in control of all the presidents. They they pick the president. That's the Freemasons, John. Well, I'm sure they're part I'm, of it. I mean. To a lesser degree, the Shriners, which are affiliated, but we know it's all the Freemasons. The number, <laughs> it's all about the, yeah, I'm just joking. But yeah, so misinformation, disinformation, is that, is that, is that just sort of a, like a, a difference of intent? Like there's, yeah. like misinformation just gets it wrong. Disinformation is kind of on purpose. Yep. Does that exactly. Make, is, that, is that right? Okay. Yep. It, yep. And sometimes I don't know that we, as like a passive consumer, will always know the difference. Sometimes we can fig, you know, you'll, we find out about things, but it's, it is, there is an intention piece. And I just think it's so important for us to like be clear about the words that we use. I mean, my book is called Faith and Fake News, which is more, I think, a little bit on the, just because it's catchy. Um, but fake news has certainly become just like so galvanizing. Um, and, so I generally use more the terms misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories because I think more exact about what you're talking about. And, and when you say something like, "Well, that's fake news," you're just basically saying you're shutting the conversation down. It's like whatever you're saying after this point doesn't matter anyway because it's not real. 
Yeah, so it's you're just not the equivalent, to it's the equivalent of nah. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. You realize that <laughs> like this many people died today of COVID. Nah, fake news. Nah, yeah, we, oh. yeah, it's turned into this like shutdown thing. I don't how know. Do you, how do you combat you know uh, just just outright denial? You know, and then never mind the you know. Then you get into the whole conspiracy about how they were reporting numbers and how it was all. That was all. That was all. You know, they were they were accusing them of disinformation. Like they're the government is lying to you. This is no longer misinformation. They're just you know proliferating bad information. They're just they're, it was all just lies and, and fakery. But um, yeah, it, it's a difficult thing to combat. I, I think this book. Um, on the one hand, I'm really glad it's there. On the other hand, I'm 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 saddened that it has to be there. <laughs> Because I think it's about to become way more timely, um, even now in the next, you know, eighteen months or a year. But yeah, it's it's a it's something that we all need to plow through, and it's something that I think, as people of faith, I think I think we can I think we can hammer that a little bit because as people of faith, I think even to a larger degree, we're we're called to be honest brokers, and I think we're called to be you know sincere searchers for truth. So not yeah, call to all you people out there still saying you follow Jesus. Uh, check your sources. Like fact check your stuff before you like proliferate lies just because it fits into a something that you that you believe. But there you go. I just ended it, John, on a soapbox. You like that? That was good. And before we end it, the the grove, the, the oh, grove John, in Santa it? Rosa is called Bohemian Grove. So just take a look at it. There's a they, thing called they have this. No. Yeah, it's called the Bohemian Grove. They have this big owl, and they supposedly worship this big owl. And they have um, like big bonfires, and they supposedly have. John. Uh, chosen our last, I don't know, 15 presidents. We don't talk about Bohemian Grove, John. But, yeah, I'm, there's, just it's, kidding, it's, I'm, just, I'm just giving some, uh, some other like weird conspiracy for people yeah, to go. But now we're on the watch list and they're going to come after us. <laughs> you just giving okay. me another example of something I can talk about in my classes if I need it. So yeah, thanks. there you go. <laughs> and something, something I can go online later on and, and doom scroll over. Great. Okay. I've just got really, I don't need another rabbit hole to, to drive. Oh my gosh. Thanks for that. Um, Bohemian Grove, everybody. Go visit. It's a nice place. Uh, you know, all kinds of... You can't uh, get in, but yeah, you, it's there. Well, well, you can't go to Antarctica either because it's fake, but that's all right. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that later. There's penguins down there with machine guns who will turn you away. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was joking. Oh, my God. I wish I was joking. Anyway, man, we have a... I've enjoyed it. I, I can't... I don't, John? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. Thanks for putting up with our, with our, with our goofiness. But I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, the book, again, is Faith and Fake News. Um, it's out wherever, wherever fine books are sold, I would imagine. And we will definitely put links to it in the show note. Any other, any of, of your other social media stuff that you got going on, we'll make sure and, and uh, promote the heck out of that. Any parting words for us before we turn you loose? No, thank you so much. It's been great to chat with you. And um, yeah, I just hope this gives people a chance to slow down a little bit in a world that doesn't usually want us to slow down. Well said, well said, perfect. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.